I loved Explo and was devastated when I wasn't invited back to work the next summer. Kristen, who'd been teaching there for a few years before me, wasn't invited back either. Her theory was that our joint screening of Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It was our undoing. Apparently, some of the campers' parents got wind of it and complained about the sex and profanity, prudes. It was just as well. I was graduating college that spring into a job market in a deep recession, and I wanted to become a writer. So that summer was better spent learning how to wait tables. Little did I know that at a brewery in Northampton, Massachusetts, Piper Kerman would be doing the same thing. Piper and I arrived in San Francisco via very different routes, even though we were heading west for the same reasons, to reinvent ourselves. Going to college at the University of Pennsylvania, just 30 minutes from the South Jersey town where I grew up in, in a loving and occasionally smothering home, had me itchy to expand my worldview. Don, a friend since fourth grade, also had the notion to get out of Dodge after he graduated in 1991. The plan was this. Take as long as our funds would hold out and see as much of the country as possible with a vague idea that we'd end up in San Francisco. We camped in our blue L.L. Bean tent. We slept in our car and hotel parking lots and cleaned up in lobby bathrooms in the morning. In some cities, we called upon parents or friends from college asking to crash in their guest rooms. We did it because we were 21 years old, had little self-consciousness and lots of entertainment value, and usually ended up being taken out to dinner. In St. Louis, we woke up to the smell of just-baked muffins my friend Allison's mom left us. On the kitchen table was a note that said, Tom and I will be home at 6 and we're all going to go out for burgers. I've left you the house keys and a map to the city. We got high and went to the arch. We looked for juke joints in the Mississippi Delta. The night we arrived in New Orleans, we checked into a youth hostel and then hit the town hard, and shortly thereafter were mugged at knife point. Briefly, but with enthusiasm, Don and I looked into renting an apartment in Kansas City and applying for jobs at the weekly newspaper there. We encountered a friendly anti-Semite in Texas and were gently propositioned by a threesome by a man who worked at the Carter Center in Atlanta. In Nashville, we snuck into Vanderbilt University's student cafeteria, crashed a frat party, threw up our dinner, and fell asleep on couches in a common area in a dorm. I remember, with absolute clarity, being curled up in the fetal position with a massive hangover the next morning and hearing the voice of what I assumed was an RA saying, Does anyone know who these two guys are? And someone replying, I think they're Phil's friends. We were not. More than two months and a fun 13,000 miles later, Don and I arrived in San Francisco. I'd long before fallen for the city after a family trip out west and repeated viewings of Hitchcock's Vertigo, VHS. After discovering my mom's beat-up copy of Allen Ginsberg's Howl among her Mona Simpson and Toni Morrison novels, I started reading Kerouac and the Beats. My parents have always been a weird bundle of neuroses and contradictions. They never coddled me like Larry Bloom's parents in Orange is the New Black, but anyone who knows Carol and Lou Smith can see how they share the Bloom's overprotective instinct. My mother was the daughter of a family doctor who took pies as payment when his patients were cash poor. She worked as a high school teacher, then took time off to raise three kids, returning to school to get a master's degree in social work. My father was the son of a Russian immigrant, Morris Smith, whom everyone called Smitty. Smitty came to America at age four and lived the classic American dream, ultimately owning his own pharmacy in Mapleshade, New Jersey, a small suburb of Philadelphia. My dad is now in his early 70s and still practices law in a small firm he runs in South Jersey, in the same town where he and my mom were high school sweethearts. My two sisters and I grew up comfortably, about 15 minutes away from our parents' own hometown, 
and were raised in what was a conventional existence. Our town was small, leafy, Republican, and oddly dry. But in ways that seem much weirder from my own newly acquired perspective as a parent, my folks were unconventional. They took my two sisters and me to see Saturday Night Fever in 1977 and covered my seven-year-old sister's eyes during the nude scenes. We were the youngest people at the Eddie Murphy concert. You know the show contains very graphic language, said the usher. Yes, said my dad. And for my 13th birthday, I took a dozen friends to see Pink Floyd, The Wall. We were never spoiled, but rather showered with love, with guilt, with expectation. No one was tiger-mommed in my family, but my sisters and I caught an intense work ethic by osmosis. It wasn't until I graduated from high school that I realized most middle-class dads back then didn't work six days a week. With the help of grandparents who embraced every early bird special they ever met, I still have a soft spot for the Olive Garden, my parents put three children through college. Their terms and conditions...